This episode is brought to you by The Cruise of Thrones. Find all the details and reserve your spot at cruiseofthrones.com and join us as we explore Westeros. Hey everyone and welcome to another Game of Thrones Tower of Babel Breakdown. This is for Season 1, Episode 4, and this is our Season 1 rewatch. Obviously, if you are uh, been listening to this, you know that already. Uh, it'd be strange to just jump in in the middle of a rewatch like that, but if you are, just know that this is a Season 1 rewatch, and we are going to be spoiling everything through Season 7 <laughs> of Game of Thrones um, in this rewatch. Okay, um... <laughs> If you do not know who I am, my name is Julian Mush. I am joined by Daniel D'Souza. What's up? And follow us on Twitter at Tower Babblecast and like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Tower Babblecast. Dan, is there something you want to tell everybody? <laughs> <laughs> I think you can kind of hear it in the background right now. There's, there's nothing I can do about it. The, uh, the pipes in my building are clanging a lot lately, so all of us have our radiators on to kind of let the steam go through, but you might hear a couple clangs just... Uh, Sorry. <laughs> so it could be a ghost. There's no way to know for sure. Uh, I, I, yeah, there's no way to be 100% sure, but I think it's just, you know, it's, sediment in the pipes. Right. But I'm not a doctor. So, so yeah, all right. Or a Scientologist. No, uh, neither. So question really is, is there any way to actually fix that problem for good or is it just, will they always clang forever? I think there is a way to fix it, but I doubt that my rental company wants to shell out the money for like because it's a relatively big job. You'd like replace every pipe or something, or like clean the Probably pipes something. in some way. I don't know that people really cared to listen to this, like to know about this. But I guess I, I have shims underneath one end of the radiator to have it on an angle so that water doesn't build up in a certain area. Oh, interesting. Okay, all right. That's the best we can do right now. Well, if. Uh, that's this week in Radiator Cast, and we'll be back <laughs> next week talking about Steam. All right, no, we'll be talking about Season 1, Episode 4. Dan, what's the title of this episode? It's uh, Cripples, Bastards, and Broken Things. I love it. I love it. All right, so let's start with the first scene, obviously, because that's how we do it, scene by scene. And the first scene we're going to be talking about today is the first Bran dream sequence, which will obviously become a staple of the show. But it's the first time we see the three-eyed raven, literally as a three-eyed raven. There's no, it's not even a fancy wordplay or anything. It's just a bird with three eyes. Um, you know it's a dream sequence because he's walking around, and we obviously know that he is recently crippled. And uh, he wakes up, and old Nan is still knitting. Presumably, she never stops knitting. Wait, and what else is she supposed to do? I don't know. I just I get, she's she knits preparing. And she tells stories. She's preparing, preparing for the long winter, so yeah. she's got to make sure everyone's warm. She's making everyone blankets, and uh, then Theon comes in, telling Bran that they have guests, and then guess who shows up? The one and only Hodor makes an appearance. Uh, Dan, is there anything we should mention about this dream sequence other than it's the first one? Um, yeah, it's the first. I mean, they happen with Bran a decent amount, but they're still relatively rare. Uh, when compared to the books, dreams are a huge part of the books. Um, the only real thing to take away from it is that the the three-eyed crow is leading him to the crypts of Winterfell, right. which later saves his life. Right. Yes. So he doesn't get burned alive by yeah. uh, 
Theon, who actually was the one who, who comes in next. How that mm-hmm. funny how that works. Uh, it's nice to and see. I, I believe uh, Summer kind of growls at Theon too. That's a little bit of foreshadowing. Really? Oh, yeah, yeah, just like very right. subtle. Okay, yeah, that is interesting. Um, Hodor. So wait, why would? But why would why would Summer actually? Why would he do? What did he say? Summer? That's is that? Yeah, yeah. Brand's dire. Yeah, yeah. Uh, why would Summer growl at him? That doesn't that doesn't really make sense, actually. Um, if you think about it, right? He's been around the whole well, time. Again, it's up. foreshadowing. Like uh, the way I look at it, the the animals, the dire wolves specifically, Danny's dragons too, to a degree, they sort of uh, represent the like their instincts, right? Um, so essentially, Summer has uh, you know a bad feeling about Theon is the idea, and it, it's uh, for us as viewers, it's foreshadowing. Right. We can appreciate that now. Um, often, if characters were to sort of follow their animals instincts they might be you know better off in certain circumstances mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's kind of how i interpret it okay and again obviously hodor shows up i can't express enough totally missed him super great to see hodor um then we find out that the guests are Tyrion. that's not really it's a big surprise uh Tyrion's there and he has a gift for bran uh he uh they're like blueprints for a saddle that can let bran ride a horse do we ever actually see him ride a horse with that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They they outfit a horse later on, and Brand names the horse Dancer, I believe. Okay, but why did what? Why does he get carried <laughs> around in a yeah, um, like a sled for so long? If he had a horse um, that he could ride, I believe the whole time? I believe either Dancer is killed or they lose him after the siege of Winterfell. Okay, that makes sense. Well, I okay. guess it's not really a siege after Theon takes it over. Mm-hmm. Okay. Either way, it's a nice it's a nice. Uh, thing for Tyrion to do obviously yeah you you gotta love that line um on horseback you'll be as tall as any of them you know like yeah yeah, yep yep and that's great especially coming from Tyrion he because he really he gets it and he well he says he's got a he has a soft spot for uh cripples bastards and broken things um in this point in the series the titles for every episode I think a lot of them are taken from like the name of chapters right in the book is that well no no? Because the chapters in the book are all POV, so it's just okay. the character's name. So it'll be like Eddard or John or whatever. Right. Or I guess lines from the – like yeah. right, right from the book. Okay. Either way, they were much more straightforward. Like this one, like they literally say it within the first five minutes, right? The exact name of the title. Um, by the time we get to season seven, like some of the, the titles, you're like, don't, you're like, we're trying to figure out why they're titled that <laughs> or whatever. And like sometimes it doesn't even make sense. Um, yeah, there's a happy medium. Like I'm thinking, like season three, four, maybe five, a little bit. They're they're a little bit more nuanced titles. I, I remember six and seven. Some of them are literally just you know. There's one called the Wall. I think I don't know. Yeah, it's like it's just you guys, Battle of the Bastards is kind of straightforward. You really you know? lost your touch there. <laughs> mm-hmm. or, or the door. It's called the door. You know the Hodor episode. Yep, yep, yep. I mean it's that like, that was on. actually I like. That's a good one though. I think that's a good one. It's good because having not seen the episode, it was very ambiguous. But then after you watch the episode, it's like, okay. Nah. Yeah. It, it was a door sense. involved. What? It's, the, door, the door's pretty symbi- symbolic. Like, yeah. It's, it's symbolic. That's the word I'm looking for. Of like how Hodor became Hodor. So it's not like just a random uh-huh. uh, you know, thing. All right. So uh, do, do, do Theon and Tyrion have a quick scene. And uh, calls him out for... Have for not ha- Tyrion calls Theon out for not having Cat greet them. He kind of like susses out the fact that Cat's not at Winterfell. Um, 
which well, I guess wasn't that hard to figure out. They also talk about the Greyjoy Rebellion, and this must have gone over my head when I first watched the season. I, I find it interesting watch rewatching this episode, like these seasons, and uh, or this season anyway, and talking about the episodes before. Yeah, you know, like we didn't rewatch all season one and then sit down and record these. We're watch, record, watching one and then recording. It. At least that's how I've been doing it. Yeah. And uh, so I forget about some of the episodes. Like I don't remember all the details for the the coming episodes. Right. So there's things that we've said in this couple of uh, the season one rewatch that I don't think are entirely accurate. Like when we say that we don't talk about Jorah's ba- like past again. Not really. Well, we do again in this week, but it's it, I didn't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> so that wasn't entirely accurate. But um, for instance, with this, when I first watched the uh, Game of Thrones, I didn't understand the whole Greyjoy thing until, until like Theon turns on them. Like until that moment, I don't, I don't really remember it, right? And then we, we had the first mention of Balon here, we don't, who we don't see for a while, um, you know, and this whole young ward situation, right? The last time I heard, the only time I ever hear the word ward is when I'm talking, we're talking about Batman and Robin. <laughs> like, right? So this was it is, it is tough. Head. Like there's uh, you know, there's Robert's rebellion. Then there's also the Greyjoy rebellion. You know, I think Mance radar is, is mentioned in this episode for mm-hmm. the first time. And it's like, all these things don't ever really affect this season. So it's gotta be hard to keep track, especially if you haven't read the books. Yeah. Which is, I guess, it's mostly there for people who have and to start filling out the world. But even they don't really pick up on that until like at least a season or two later, right? Most of those things. Uh, yeah. It's still interesting. They do. They kind of bring up the the uh, the Greyjoy Rebellion a couple times. It comes up in conversation in this week. I wonder if that's intentional yeah. that you want to bring it. You want to, if you're going to talk about it, talk about all, talk about it all in the same week, so it's just easier that way. Uh, da, 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 da. And then, oh, it's, this is also the first mention of Roz, I think, right? By name? Probably by name, yeah. She was in the show yeah. in episode one. But. but how is it that she became such a central character to the show? How is that even possible? <laughs> well, she's she's popular. <laughs> she's good at what she does. She's, she's name-dropped twice in this episode. I don't know. I've always thought she was kind of a problematic character. Um She's basically the embodiment of sex, posi- sex position. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Anything else you want to say about uh, what's happening here at Winterfell before we move on? I mean, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of information there about the Greyjoy Rebellion, about um, essentially, like, it doesn't really matter, but Theon's older brothers were all killed during the rebellion. He was too young to fight. That's why he wasn't. Mm-hmm. And so then, as a result, after Balon bent the knee, part of. His uh, surrender was that he had to give up his son. That's why Theon is at Winterfell. That's right. why Ned took him. Okay. How old? It was just he? kind of it helps you understand Theon's character because um, once we get to meet his father, we know how important that lineage is. And then after all his older brothers are dead, he it is on his shoulders, so he feels a little bit of responsibility towards his father and his people. Yeah. How old was uh, Theon when he was what, during that at that time? He I I don't know. He probably would have been like. The show timeline is hard to say, but in the books, I want to say like seven. Oh, that's still a little bit older than. Yeah, I don't know. That's tough, right? I was like, if well, he's yeah, a, he's yeah. too too young to wield a sword for sure. Right, too young, too too old. Yeah, obviously, but also old enough to like under kind of understand what's happening, which yeah. is you, yeah, yeah, like the worst of both worlds. Uh, Castle Black. Let's head over there, and this is the first time we meet Sam, and. 
all that I can think about during the scene was thinking how much I hated Sam for so long on the show. I just, I did not like him. I did not I I appreciated their friendship, John and Sam's friendship, but I did not I did not like him. He reminds me he reminded me so much of um Remember the 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 from Saving Private Ryan? There's that scene where one of the guys, there's like there's a knife fight in this in a in a town, yeah. right? And then that guy's coming up and he can't he can't bring himself to like come up the stairs. Um, mm-hmm. He's the one who could the one who can speak German, right? And I remember just being so angry at that guy, right? Just for just being such a coward, <laughs> right? And letting his friend die, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And. Um, that base that is like the embodiment of my feelings for Sam for like the first two seasons. Just just angry at his inability to grow a backbone. Yeah. Obviously that changes. He does actually grow a kind of a backbone later on, but not like it's a pretty soft one still. Well he I mean <laughs> yeah. in his own way, yeah. He does. Yeah. Um Yeah, I don't know. He like reading the books as well, some of his chapters are very frustrating to read because they're all POV, so you're put in his uh, even shoes. worse <laughs> i mean it does read like that but that's that's by design like yeah, him no. and sansa especially in the early chapters like they're both victims so they both kind of act like a victim and it's just hard to read and, and feel that like it's just an uncomfortable feeling yeah, no know? one wants to no one wants to be a victim um i don't know for a split second before having read the books and before having watched the show like there's a split second here where he looks really angry it's like oh what if he's actually a badass fighter he just looks <laughs> like a but it's not. It, it wouldn't be a satisfying a story. It's not the case. Yeah. Um, I like how they make the beating of Sam into a game. They're like, okay, John, you have to, you have to protect him. <laughs> and I, I thought that was kind of a fun little uh, thing that happened. Um, he also introduces himself to John very politely and thanks him. It's it's kind of nice. Um, it's it's interesting. I, I didn't really. I guess I didn't really notice this until. Uh, this rewatch, but these are the, like between John and Sam, they're the only two that came from any kind of like, uh, you know, of wealth or uh, of comfort of any kind, right? They're the only yeah, two that understand that. High board. Yeah. So I guess that's kind of where that friendship kind of comes from, I, I, I guess, because it's hard to even understand why they become such friends so fast, right? Uh, well, it's it's that same theme, like the like obviously the title of this episode, "Cripples, Bastards, and Broken Things." You know that, yeah. that that can be a metaphor as well. It doesn't have to be physically broken. Like they're both outcasts. They're from noble houses, but weren't ever allowed to be actually a part of them. Right. So let's move to Voss. the last. Did you know um, the actor who plays Sam? I believe his name is John Bradley. This is the first acting gig he ever had. Oh wow, that's impressive. Unless he's just Lucky a lot guy. like that in reality, right? He's just he's just being himself, right? <laughs> I started to say, yeah, but I, I just think that's amazing. Like he just landed this role. Yeah, that is pretty it's cool. Huge. How, how do you how do you do that? Can you just walk onto an HBO uh, set? Yeah, he auditioned. I guess anybody can audit, get an audition, and I I don't think that's true. I, like I think a lot of times you need to be well, a part of the acting guild to get an audition. For, well, he probably he had an agent. Like he probably like he was. He had studied acting or something. Like he was he was trying to become an actor. Mm. And this was just his first gig out of. That's a pretty. That's a pretty. That is good. That is a fortunate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, so good things happen to good people, I guess. Uh, let's go to Vostothrak, and uh, the Horse City. This is the first time we get there. Jora does his encyclopedic uh, entry. You know, I, I presume he is writing an encyclopedia as he as he goes. 
or someone well, at least definitely taking should notes. Be, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so that's that's you know normal. Um, and uh, Jora and Danny kind of talk about how effective a Dothraki army would really be in the West. Um, and it's really hard to to think, or not hard to think, how we got so upset that this took so long because they spent a lot of time setting up the whole cross the narrow sea, take back the crown thing so early for so long, right? That it's like, of course we got pissed off that, like, <laughs> that it took them so long to do. Yeah. Because um, this is only episode four of season one and it's like the, the crumbs are being laid like now, right? And uh, yeah, what, what do you, what do you really think about that whole? I don't know. Chat? I'm kind of on the fence about how well. I mean, obviously they would have the numbers, but I don't know how well a Dothraki army would fare in Westeros just on their own, without right? without the backing of the dragons. Because obviously we see them uh, fa- being fairly effective um, in, as in like a guerrilla style warfare uh, in season seven, right? Think of like the loot train battle, right? That comes yes, to mind. Yes, but they do like. If they were to it, like, as it stands now in this in season one, if they were to invade Westeros, like they have no siege weaponry, you know, they're just like they would be probably taken down by archers on the walls. Like most 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 of the larger castles would just hold up, gather supplies, and, and try to wait them out, you know. Right. Um, so the thing yeah. is, they just have the numbers and probably like you know, man to man better fighting prowess than most Westerosi. Right. I mean, I, again. Thankfully, we did like, yeah, I mean, it doesn't really, it doesn't really, yeah, it wouldn't really work. Like, how do you get the, how do you even get them across? It wouldn't even get, you get there. Like, what's your really, your strategy here, right? I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but the dragon is the, the greatest siege weapon of all time, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So, um, I mean, so she has that at her back. That does help a lot for her, right? Yeah. And then also, like you mentioned strategy, it's important to remember that, uh, uh, Magister Illyrio is working with Varys. Like they are kind of, they would have noble houses that would side with the Targaryens, so they would, right, like have some support in that sense. Um, they also talk, like I mentioned before, they also talk about Jorah's slave trade thing, um, and that comes up more. I guess is this maybe is this the last time they talk about it? Because <laughs> I feel like after like these a couple I, again, maybe I'm wrong. But I feel like it's just not brought up a lot for a long, long time after these, I guess, these first couple episodes. But man, I could be wrong. I again. think it is probably once. I think Ned Stark brings it up because it's brought to his attention that Jorah is the spy when they're speaking to the council. Okay, and he says something about it. But this is very, you know, in passing. I, that all that stuff just went right over my head the first time <laughs> I watched it. Um, but it's interesting because he drops he the first time they talk about that stuff, it's all kind of. There's no specific names that he uses now, but he talks, he drops uh, Robert's name, Ned's name. um, Like he's using names that now we are familiar with to really connect us and Jorah to them. Um, It it, it makes sense. I I, I think it's a smart way of doing it too because you really, I think now, especially rewatching, you really understand that connection a lot better. And like they... Almost feel like the contempt he feels for Ned, even though he knows that he was doing only doing what he like had to do, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it is. It's one of those. It's you're right. Like he really is the bridge here because everything that happens in Daenerys' story, it feels so separate. Like it might as well be on a different planet, you know? Yeah, 
and he connects everything a little bit. So there's a moment where Jorah's uh, kind of like, yeah, until Ned like chased me off my land. And, and then Danny's like, yeah, but you were selling slaves. So, <laughs> right? Like it's weird how he kind of seems like at least at this point, he seems to be waffling on this whole thing where he, he feels bad about what he did. But he also is pissed that he had to leave, right? Yeah, it's, it's – I mean does the punishment fit the crime? You know, he sold people into slavery but they – in his mind, they were criminals, right? They were poaching on his land and then his – the price of him selling them into slavery is his head. Yeah. You know? That, I think that – I think that the punishment does fit the crime. <laughs> well, yeah. Slavery is a terrible thing and it's, it's very – it's not at all acceptable in Westeros, which is weird. It's weird that he even did it. Um, but it's because his wife – I don't know if it's because of that. This is me, you know. That's what he says. That's what he says. He says he had he had an expensive wife, right? Um, and he had no money. That's what. <clears throat> yeah. What what I was about to say though, he had an expensive wife, but she was from uh, Lys. She's Lysini, right? One of the free cities, and slavery is much more common, or at least the slave trade is more common there, right? At least there's a, um, that's where a lot of the the prostitutes are trained, the higher end prostitutes. They have mm. pleasure houses in Lys. Right, and they, 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 that's a slave trade there. So it's much more common. So she could have been, you know, in his ear telling him, "Why don't you just sell some slaves if you need some extra scratch?" You know. Yeah. Okay. Well, that really backfired. <laughs> Do you ever find out where his wife ends up, or is that just kind of like one of those things that doesn't really matter? Just well, she just went off with some rich dude, like in Westeros or somewhere like back in Essos. Do we know? I think like, in the books he he met. It's from one of the free city, cities. I don't know, like maybe a Tyrashi. I can't remember. Okay. All right. Uh, all right. So. We also get we cut to the next scene, which is sex position with Varys. That's the the title of that uh, of that scene. Viserys. What did I say? You said Varys. Okay, sorry. Um, Varys can't have sex position. <laughs> You're right. Good point. Um, sex position. Sex position with Viserys, and this is probably the longest scene we ever get with Viserys. I think in the entire, I think in the entire series, uh, he's usually just like on the side with Danny's scenes, but this is like his own with that chick that is Danny's handmaiden slash prostitute. <laughs> uh, her name is uh, Daria. Um, is she the one that get lo- gets locked in the... Uh... Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. All right. so that's what I thought. And uh, this is... I actually don't mind the scene only because of the what we learn about uh, the dragons and stuff, but the way... like. Again, could have been executed better, right? Um, especially the ending of it, right? So we get a lot of backstory on Valyria and the dragons, right? There's a face, uh, Faceless Man reference here. Did you catch mm-hmm. that? I like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, obviously like, there's some specific names we get from the dragons. Balerion, the Dread is mentioned. Obviously that comes full circle in Season 7 with the whole arrow through the skull thing. Um, I don't know. Like I said, I, the scene is problematic because of the way it's done, but I still like learn, like learning about that stuff at the same time. What do you, what do you feel about that? I don't, I don't see how it's really problematic. It, it's, it's perfectly in character for both of them. I found, you know, like we can't say that every scene that includes sex is problematic. That's not how it works. It's problematic because there's a power dynamic, but that's, that's because he bought her. Like that's the dynamic that exists within that world. So no, no, no. I mean, I think you can say that the the overuse of sex position is problematic. 
right? Yeah, this, I, I, this, I know what you're talking about, right. but this one isn't one of the, the perpetrators. I don't, uh, think. I don't know. I think it kind of is. All this, what's the scene doing? What what are the what's the two purposes of the scene? To give us backstory on Valyria mm-hmm. and the the dragons, right? And how that works. And what yeah. else? To show us that Viserys is a jerk. We knew that that already. The only thing we didn't know was the stuff that he's talking about and telling the story about the dragons, right? Mm-hmm. So how do they choose to do that? Put a naked girl in a tub, right? That's the <laughs> you know. So that's what's problematic. But I, I mean, I, I get it. I get what you're saying. Um, I, I don't imagine them having any conversation under any other circumstances, but they could have had him speaking with a different character, I suppose. There's just not really a lot of characters there that would he would have that conversation with. Well, I mean, it doesn't have, the thing is, it doesn't have to be uh, Viserys. Does Danny know anything about the dragons? Does she not know anything? Not really. No? Okay, I don't know then. Whatever. Either way, I'm, I I did like learning about this stuff. Like, is there any other references that I didn't mention? Uh, well, no, he just says a bunch of the different dragon names. I think that's about it. Like the the big three are Balerion the Dread, Vagar, and Maraxes. Vagar mm-hmm. and his sister's dragons that Maraxes conquered Westeros. Is such a cool name for a dragon, by the mm-hmm. way. Um, I feel like Balerion's also really cool. But then we hear like versions of like slight variances of the same names for dragons for after a while. They have all, yeah, they have the coolest name. Like Vermithrax is one. Cool. <laughs> I think one is actually called Cyrax. I don't know. That one's not, I feel like that was used. Like, I've heard. I've heard Cyraxes before. You know. Yeah, he's he's a fighter in Mortal Kombat. Yeah, <laughs> but it's spelled differently. Yeah. Um, I was talking about um, the girl. What she she was kind of talking about. Like, I've seen men with who could change their face and blah blah blah. I, I don't remember any other specific ones. The faceless man reference is pretty cool, though. The faceless man. Uh, one of the others she says is a man from Ashai who had a dagger of dragon glass. That is cool. All right, yeah. I, mean, we never, I don't yeah. think we're ever going to see a shy in the series, but the fact that he had a dagger of dragon glass kind of connects it to the world. And the other one she said was just a pirate who wore his weight in gold, who's probably a Lycini. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, uh, let's cut over to Sansa. And he's, she's chatting with one of the Septons, right? Uh, Septas. Septas, yeah. Septas. And about what if she only has girls when she when she when she gets kids and it's again they just really are we're working that whole <laughs> we don't they don't want us to like Sansa it, it's very clear at this point i think um and we do get another brief history of uh Westeros kind of and Sansa's grandparents death They've kind of talked about it a whole bunch actually now um, in this first season about how Ned's father and brother died. Um, it's in that, it was in that room, right? It was in the throne room yep. that that happened? Yeah, which yep. is, yeah, okay. Um, anything else we should say about that? <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't know if they don't want us to like Sansa, but she definitely comes across as just like, she's just a naive little kid, you know? Right, yeah. I don't hate her for that. It's decisions that she makes later on based on that. That I did that I can't stand. Right, right. Uh, small council. We go and have another small council meeting, and they're talking with Janice Slint, head of the Kingsguard, about the trouble in town. The city watch, Lord Commander oh, of the city, city watch. watch. And uh, I, I love how he's talking about like the different stuff that's happened, and the best one is clearly a drunken horse race. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that just sounds adorable. Like that doesn't even sound dangerous. Right. Well, it's, it's, <laughs> it's basically think of like, it's just, it's their version of street racing. Uh-huh. Right. You just imagine like people blocking off different roads and then <laughs> like taking bets and stuff. You know, there's like a pink slip. You think you lose, you, you lose your horse if you lose the you race. Lose the horse. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's funny. And, uh, so they need more. They need more uh, guards, I guess. Baelish will see it paid for. I like that. And the fast and the spurious. Sorry, what? No, it doesn't really work. I said the fast and the spurious because you spur on your horse, but I think spurious is a different word. Well, yeah, spurious means like uh, like unimportant, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Shit. Yeah. Well, that's good. It's it's right. Keep thinking. Keep. keep you got to swing, right? Yeah. Uh, you're not you're not gonna bat a thousand. So. Um, Baelish doesn't see it paid for. I like that. He's like, excuse me, I'm going to do what now? Um, and Ned lends his, uh, some of his guard. Is that, a mis- is that a mistake? I guess in retrospect, I, when he's taken hostage uh, or is captured, um, if he had more of his guard with him, it wouldn't have been as much of an issue? Or- I mean, it's hard to say. Either way, he would have been outnumbered by the city watch right. if he had his full guard complement or not. Um, but the, yeah, he has slightly less power now. He gives them to the city watch. So likely Slint would have ordered them, you know, on the other side of the city when they're doing that takeover or yeah. whatever, right? Yeah. Um, and then everyone dips out in like 30 seconds. Like, I like, oh, they're in the middle of a, of a small council meeting and then everyone's gone in like half a second. Um, but that's okay because it lets us have a quick conversation with Ned and Picel about John Aaron. And this is where Ned starts his whole Sherlock Holmes phase of season one. And he asks, what does he ask you? What did John want the night before he died, right? Found out that it's a book um, called The Lineages and Histories of the Great Houses of the Seven Kingdoms. And that it might even be a subtitle. Uh, but <laughs> it's just essentially, it's the, think of like the Old Testament of the Bible it's yeah. that part where they just say the son of the son of the son of the son of the son. Yeah. And, of the, and yeah. this person begat this person begat this person. Right. It's not, it's, it's a, what does he say? It's a tonesome read or something like that. A ponderous tome. Right. <laughs> and it, it's, it clearly would be super boring if you're just going like to read it like a, like a fun, like book. It's not really what it's intended for though. Um, there is an F reference to the umbers though, which is nice. Uh, we don't really meet a lot of the umbers on this show hey um well we meet the great john and that's about it yeah and for like i think he gets one scene right when they're like trying to gather their forces in the in the north uh yeah he um later on in the season obviously we'll get to that episode and we'll talk about it he kind of like he and rob sort of butt heads a bit yeah um so is what's Picel doing here? Is he setting Ned up to fail, or is because like is he unaware that that like he, how much does Picel know at this point? What do you think? It's so weird because all these people it, it, within the small council they all have their own little agendas. They're all working yeah. their yep, yep. schemes. Picel is a, a lapdog for Tywin essentially. Mm-hmm. Okay, he doesn't report to Cersei or Jaime or Tyrion. He reports to Tywin. And um, I don't. I, yeah. I would assume he didn't see any harm in letting Ned see the book. He probably couldn't find a way around it, although he probably could have given him a different book. Yeah. Um, 
but also Paisel doesn't really know the significance of that book either. So he may have been just helping, just just following orders. You know? Right. I, do you think Paisel know that John Aaron was poisoned? Hmm. I don't. I don't think so, actually, because he would have no reason to be involved in the cover. Because what we know now is we know we know that Lysa poisoned him, right? Right. So it would have come as to a surprise, uh, come as a surprise to everybody but Littlefinger, you know? Yeah. And he was an older man. Like it, it, people get sick, it happens. The tears of Lisa are, are basically invisible. Like there's no way to trace it. So I think maybe they thought about it, but there's no way to prove it. So okay, whatever. Um, and then we get this nice, cool line. We get apparently his last words were "the seed is strong," which is pretty funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> There's a quick brief chat about poison being a woman's weapon, and uh, he, he kind of tries to set up, like, he tries to kind of call out Varys, too, a bit here, um, Pycelle does. Because I said, poison is a, a weapon of women, cravens, and eunuchs. Right, and he's like, did you know that Varys is a eunuch? He's like, yeah, of course, <laughs> everyone knows that. <laughs> uh, so I guess I, he, it's clear that they never really got along. But uh, I just think that's kind of funny. He's just trying to hit the, this is one kind of non-subtle trying of nudge to get turned against Varys. I mean, I don't think yeah, Ned cares they're that kind much. of yeah. There's no love lost between the, him and Varys. Um, they're sort of they're sort of all in this phase where they're kind of feeling Ned out to see it, like how how he will play the Game of Thrones essentially. Mm-hmm. Right, that becomes a theme later on. So he's sussing him out still. Okay. And what else we got here? We're going to Arya and Ned. Arya is standing on the stairs, like on her tippy toes, and she's got all these kind of fun lines. Where like Sirio says, and Sirio says this, and Sirio says that, and you got to study cats because they're you know so quiet and sneaky, like ninjas, basically. <laughs> um, it's another cute little scene between Ned and Arya. What stands out to me is that Ned still thinks that Arya is going to marry someone and um, have little, like, have kids and stuff. And Arya's like, by the way, this line comes back in season seven, which is so great. It's the line where um, that's not me. She says she says that to her, uh, to her direwolf in season seven, which uh. was a confusing line, right? We weren't sure what that meant at the time, like, what does that really mean? Like, what's she going to do yeah. next? Uh, we do obviously find out what that means. Um, but I think it's a, that's a nice callback in season seven. But at this point, it's like, how is Ned still, like, is he is he just thinking that she's, like, playing out a phase? Like, it's just a phase that she's going through? Well, yeah, like, she's, what, she's, like, seven or eight years old? Yeah. You know, kids go through these things, and he, I, as, I, I would assume it's just wishful thinking on his part. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess, like, I think about like how my brother went, he tried to, for instance, he thought he was going to play, he was going to learn how to play the harmonica. So my parents bought a harmonica, a book on how to play the harmonica. And then he played the harmonica for like four days and then stopped and then never picked up the harmonica again. Same thing with the guitar. Same thing well, I mean, with it the, happens. right. I've gone through a million phases of myself. I right. know, but so I thought it's just that I guess it, presumably as a parent, you've probably seen that before. Like you think they're like, like, Oh yeah. Arya really wants to learn how to sword fight. Okay, we'll see how long that lasts, right? Uh Um, Then we go to a top of the wall. So we cut back to the wall. Again, we're still in season one, early season one, where we jump around a lot, right? 
and uh, Sam and John are having a quick chat. Again, I just can't help but notice that there's no toques. If you've been listening since our season seven <laughs> thing, you'd think they wear hats of some kind at the you know at the wall, but no. And uh, <laughs> I like how um, the line from John, like you can't fight, you can't see, you're afraid of heights, and probably everything else. <laughs> like, what are you doing here, right? And then, it's, but the, I think what I love about it is that the question is actually super earnest. Like, what are you doing here, right? Like, why would you suck at this? What is what is your deal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so Sam tells the backstory, right? Um, so why why is Sam kicked out? It's pretty brutal, right? Yeah, it's just he he couldn't live up to his father's expectations, essentially. He was a he was a constant disappointment to his father because he liked you know books and singing and you know like the softer things that he didn't like sword fighting as well. Much, we know right? that his dad is a pretty militaristic kind of guy, anyway. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so <laughs> no, it, it's more brutal than that though. He tells them on his 18th birthday that he's either going to go to the wall or he will hunt him. <laughs> he will hunt him. Well, he, like yeah, a basically. boar, right? He says he can hunt yeah. him like a boar, right? And that he'll probably fall off his horse at some point, and uh, and that and that, at that point he will die. And yeah, and, I mean, accidents happen, right? Right, and that he's like, it'll be hard to tell his mom, but yeah, like that is so cold. That is cold. Hey, no wonder he doesn't <laughs> need to wear a hat. He just exposed just he was just exposed to the coldest thing ever by yeah, his dad. Definitely. Um, but it's also the budding of a friendship, uh, right here. It's nice between John and Sam. Yeah. That's sort of, um, the feeling that you don't fit in there. So they had, there was no room for them in the world. So they came here. I think John says that later on. Yeah. There's no Um, room for him up there. So he came here. Yeah. It's just, again, I didn't like Sam. There's early in, like in season one, but this is, this is a nice moment with Sam where he's not, it's just him being honest right and maybe to a fault right but just telling just telling like listen i'm not going to get better with a sword i'm not like i'm just not right that's not what i'm yeah, good and, at and to be fair to sam like it takes a certain degree of courage to just to be honest about that kind yeah. of stuff you know Especially a lot of world. people would try to hide it yeah so let's go to ned and littlefinger and uh <laughs> they're they're walking through the court and uh or the courtyard i guess and uh ned or littlefinger says something like i hear you're reading a book and you know like <laughs> that news gets around fast right and uh, we get the first reference to sir hugh right uh who was the the squire of john aaron right who was immediately knighted by cersei after the um after he died right i don't know if they say it's by cersei but he was he was knighted after john aaron's death i don't right. know who knighted i, th- I think they I, th- I feel like they said that but maybe i'm wrong on that one i could be off but he, this is all just a red herring right like that's the whole that's kind of the whole point of the whole soul, whole sir hugh thing right it's all just a red herring and uh it doesn't End of the day, it doesn't matter because he dies this episode anyway. Um, yeah. But I guess Littlefinger tells him to go, tells Ned to go visit an armorer, 
right? And then Ned says, perhaps I was wise to distrust you. And then there's a great line from Littlefinger. He says, distrusting me was the smartest thing you've done since you came here, which is such a good, again, honest. I love when mm-hmm. Littlefinger can be honest to you. Sure. <laughs> At the same time, he's stabbing you in the back. It's great. <laughs> um, and it, it, it does. It comes full circle later on when he holds a knife to his throat and says, I told you, I did tell you not to trust me. Right. It's such a, uh, such a good little, uh, I, I really do enjoy this scene um, because it gives, it gives you such a little, such a glimpse into the world of the small council and, and Varys and Littlefinger and everything. And, cert- and like, it's the first time we hear about the, the little birds, I believe. No, no, the, 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 that's referenced by Varys, I think last episode. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. But, this is the but first we, time we, we see it in action. Yeah. This is opening Ned's eyes to the inner workings of the, of the royalty. It just, it's so crazy. How is Ned so naive to all this stuff? Right. Yeah. That's the thing because even during Eris's reign, like these things were happening. There were, there were, there's always spies. They, they, everyone always refers to King's Landing as a nest of vipers. You know, I think Ned is, is aware of it, but just like, again, that his, his Northern honor won't allow him to participate in it. So he kind of ignores it. He just does what he does best. Right. So, there's a quick scene here with cap with the captain of Ned's guard, and the, Jory Castle, the aforementioned Sir Hugh, which is I like I like how Sir Hugh is basically the just like classic epitome of a knight that like you think of mm-hmm. like from a knight's tale or whatever, right? He's got like long golden hair and he's like practicing with his horse and he's being pompous and all that kind of stuff. And that's pretty funny because. They flip it. A lot like, of arrogance yeah. for someone. Like, he he's the newest knight in the world. Like, he was just knighted. <laughs> and now he's just, taught, like, throwing his weight around. And Yeah, he's... but he was, like, you can tell that he was kind of one of those um, those types probably to begin with. And now he's finally got the name, so he can he can finally mm-hmm. throw his weight around a bit more than when he was a squire. Um, and, then when he, and then when he comes back to Ned and he's, like, he won't talk to anyone but you. He's like, what does he say that like that knights are? Uh, they're like they're everywhere here. Like you can't like throw a rock. You basically, you can't throw a rock without hitting one. <laughs> yeah, and uh, they, they strut around in their armor, they're, like they're peacocking essentially. Yeah. Is what. And the reason they say that is because there aren't really any knights in the north. It's like to become a knight in the Seven Kingdoms. It's, it's you're, you're anointed under the faith of the Seven. Right, the, the faith of the South. So, in the North, in the Iron Islands, there are very few knights. Even in Dorne, certain houses have a lot of knights in Dorne, but not all of them. Okay. Uh, the thing about, I like about the whole Sir Hugh thing is, even though he's only around for a little bit, that they do that's where they 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 kind of subvert your expectations again. Where you have this this knight, you know, obviously he's not you don't like him, he's whatever, but he is that kind of classic version of a knight. But then he is killed <laughs> later this episode, right? That's not. That's kind of, I wouldn't say it's foreshadowing, but it is definitely a glimpse into the way that this world works, that it's not always going to go the way that you think, right? Yes. Um, so now, that, now again, Ned is continuing his whole uh, like sleuthing, right? He's not being very subtle about it, right? He just rides up to the armorer, comes to see the boy. This is the first time we see Gendry, and... It's just so weird that like Gendry is here in this episode in this this season. He plays a decently large role next season, right? Um, and then he disappears for like three seasons. <laughs> like we don't see him at all for a long time. That is just like 
I don't know, like, I don't know if a lot of shows would do that, but I think there's a reason that not a lot of shows would do that because that's that's asking a lot of the audience to get introduced to this guy you haven't seen, and then just drop him for years, years. I don't know. I'm getting. I I mean. I would say I'm I'm completely on board with it. I like when shows do that kind of stuff. Like, in not necessarily always about challenging your audience, but definitely don't, I mean, you know, uh, patronize your audience. Don't you know? Don't dumb it down because it'll be too hard to keep track of. Well, I'm, right? not, I'm not saying it's hard to keep track but, of. I'm saying it's like it's just a strange move to just introduce a character and then ignore that character for so long, right? Yeah, in in a, in a more traditional show, if a character's out for that many seasons, he's probably out. Right. He's, he rose away, and you're like, he's probably going to come back. But every season that it went by and he didn't come back, you're like, I guess that's it. I guess we're not seeing Gendry anymore, mm-hmm. right? Uh, which is why we get the yeah. great joke about what do you think I was rowing uh, rowing <laughs> this whole time, which is funny. Um, so Ned is kind of interviewing him and asking him about why Eric, John Aaron was coming to visit him. And he's like, at first, you know, he would just come to say hi, see the kind of the work I would do. And then later he'd ask about my mom, who died when he was little, I guess, and had yellow hair, right? <laughs> and then I love, there's a, there's a moment here that I, I almost didn't like, but then the way that they did it actually, it, it turned me around 100, 180%. Ned asked him to like look in his eyes, right? Like look up at me, right? He looks at him. There's a look in Ned's face, Right. And we're at, at that point, we're like, I don't understand. What's he seeing? Like, I don't really get it. I don't understand it, right? And then, like, next scene, he's talking to his uh, to his man again, and he's like, yeah, I just found Robert's bastard. <laughs> and and then, it, then it all clicks. Like, the last thing clicks into place. Like, oh, he looks exactly like Robert or yeah. similar to him anyway. A young Robert. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I guess... I probably the first time I watched the show, um, in the, like in season one when I f- watching it live, I probably didn't understand the significance of that, um, but I do now. But Dan, go over why is there? Why is it important that there are? We know Gendry's one, but we also learned that there's others, right? Uh, bastards of Robert running around. Yeah, no, Robert had dozens of bastards. So, um, yeah, well, it's, it's right. significant because we learned that, you know, Joffrey, Marcella and Tommen are not Robert's children, right? They're mm-hmm. Jamie's children. Mm-hmm. So they technically should have no claim to their throne. Neither would any of his, uh, like neither would Genji because he's baseborn. I guess Robert could choose to acknowledge him and then yeah. he would be in line for the throne. But I don't know. I think people blew it out of proportion when they said that Gendry is, is the rightful heir. He's not. You know? It, yeah. That's just, it's not how it works. It, it, like... Stannis is the rightful heir right now. <laughs> right. Well, not right now. Well, when, still no, alive, when Robert dies. Right. Um, which is why he's so pissed off when he's passed over. Yeah. I, yeah. 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 Um, does Gendry's mom have any significance? No. Or is she just some just random broad? Unfor- yeah. She was just some, some lady. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, they kind of like, they kind of, in the show, and it does make sense to do this, they kind of combine a bunch of Robert's bastards into one character to make Gendry. Okay. At least two of the – there's another one named Edric Storm that's very significant in the books that he is sort of – Gendry is sort of an amalgam of, of Edric Storm and the Gendry from the books. What would So what's Gendry's last name? What's his, what's his bastard name? 
Um, it would be Rivers. Okay. No, Waters. Sorry, Waters. He was born in the Crown Lands, so it would be Waters. Okay, interesting. And that's if he was born in the Crown Lands. I don't know where he was born. Do we ever do we ever know his last name? I don't think we ever do. I think they ever just call him Gendry all the time. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, it's just weird because John goes by Snow so often. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think even then, like the, the 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 family name for bastards is more for like highborn bastards, right? John Snow or or like Elaria uh, Sand or whatever. So he just has like, he only gets one name. He doesn't even get. A well, yeah, like name. there are other characters that are sort of lowborn, like uh, like Hot Pie. You know, <laughs> they just have a name. That's just it. Hot Pie's not a name; it's a food. <laughs> <laughs> and there's another one named Lamy. Like all the like the actual you know non noble house people that are also poor, like beggars or whatever, are just given one name, I believe. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think now would be a good time to let's acknowledge our sponsors and let's take a quick break. So it's that time again where we're going to talk about the cruise because it's important that you guys know how excited we are for it. Um, if you've been following along with the whole season one rewatch, you know that we've teamed up with Royal Caribbean Cruise Planners and Dalmatian Travel and Events to take you guys on a Game of Thrones cruise, all right? Now, if you don't know the details, I'm just going to quickly go over them again, um, and then we're going to talk about some more locations from the northern portion of the cruise, because there is two different cruises, all right? There's a northern portion and a southern portion, and then one combined 24-night full full known world experience, right? It's called the... Dan... What's you it said called? It's the whole it's the known world okay, experience. The whole known world. All right. I just te- I was quizzing you. I was quizzing yeah. you. Okay. So we're gonna talk some more about the northern locations. Um, but you're gonna want to make sure you head over to cruiseofthrones.com and reserve your spot so you before March 15th, because if you do that, you get $150 of credit towards onboard activities. Presumably um, gambling. We've been pushing yeah, you know the bar, what? You but you can I'm turn $150 saying, into $2,000, right? Yeah, exactly. I guess we shouldn't encourage that. Oh, whatever. No, yeah. <laughs> not, we, we are not here to encourage gambling and drink responsibly. All right. Um, but of course, you don't have to drive anywhere on a cruise, so yeah. you don't have to drink that responsibly. <laughs> um, <laughs> what else? Oh, um, yeah, like I said, it's called the Cruise of Thrones. So go to cruiseofthrones.com and find all the links to all that stuff in our show notes. Okay. Now we're going to talk about a couple more locations in Northern Ireland. Uh, we talked about Castle Ward last time and the Tollymore Forest Park. This time we're going to talk about Sandy Bray, which is, again, I'm reading from the Game of Thrones wiki. Okay, The Sandy Bray, which is the Kill Kill location of Vas Dothrak, and you might remember that from this episode, <laughs> in the heart of the grasslands known as the Dothraki Sea. The mother of mountains visible in the background of the city is actually one of the real-life Mourn Mountains. So that's always fun when that's something's awesome. not just digitally cool. added in, right? Then there's also Shane's Castle, a location of the tourney of the hand in Season 1, Episode 4, which again is this episode, um, and Episode 5, which is the next episode. The fight between Jamie and Brienne in Season 2, Episode 2, is also uh, takes place here. And... After the pilot episode, subsequent scenes in Winterfell's crypts were filmed in the cellars of Shane's castle. So that would actually be really awesome. cool. I would love to see Winterfell's crypts. <laughs> um, any crypts, really, uh, as all, uh, would be sweet. Um, and then there's Armoy, which is the dark hedges of Armoy. 
the long row of trees flanking a road used as a northern part of the King's Road that exists from King's Landing, that exits from King's Landing. Arya Stark passes the road as part of the group of Night's Watch recruits that Yorin is leading north out of the city. So there you go. Uh, a real play. And that was actually, if you look up the picture of the Dark Hedges of Armoy, they're really, really cool looking. Just beautiful. I remember reading somewhere, I can't remember where, that that's one of the most photographed places in all of Ireland. It's a very popular tourist it spot. Totally makes sense. Yeah. Uh, there's also Red Hall Estates, Ballycarry. The inn, this, and this one, this one might to me my favorite one of them all. It's the inn at the crossroads in the Riverlands. Uh, also plays a large role in this episode. I, I picked out a couple of specific locations yeah. um, from this episode that I thought would be cool. Um, the, obviously, the Inn at the Crossroads comes back a lot, right? We see it a lot in the entire series. It's a very important – in the show, it's important. and in, in the books, it's even more so important. It's, it's somehow – it's just in, in the right place at the right time, and everybody passes through the Inn at the Crossroads. Well, the, it's the King's Road, right? And it's like the biggest inn, I'm guessing, like halfway yeah, between. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, I I would just love to eat like like a chicken stew or uh, have a have a like a big glass of mead, right? Yeah, just just like a, a <laughs> leg of mutton or something. Ooh, actually, I love lamb. I do. Can I just can I pause and talk about how much lamb is underused in today's cooking? Um, that's that's a more Western thing. I think it's pretty. It's used very fairly often in in you know in the UK where we're going to be going. Can I get your opinion on whether you eat rabbit or not? I'll motherfucker. I'll eat anything. I eat everything. All right. So here's the thing. I have a friend who uh, has a pet rabbit and listen, I agree that rabbits shouldn't be used for uh, like makeup testing and stuff. That's bad. Let's not do that. But I am totally okay with eating rabbits. And I'm not, you know, if you're not into that, that's cool, but I'm okay with it. And the reason is I like the taste of meat, but beyond that, (laughs) there is so many rabbits. There's a, there is yeah. a gazillion rabbits. There's probably as many yeah. rabbits as there are ants on the in the world. It, I mean, the only thing is like there's not a lot of meat on them, right? Right. So it takes it. You need a couple to make a stew. There's only one way to cook a brace of conies. I never, you can't do the accent. I've never, I mean, this is Lord of the Rings, not Game of Thrones that I'm quoting now. <laughs> um, Sam anyway, makes a rabbit stew for Frodo when Gollum catches the rabbits. There's only one way to skin a rabbit, right? That's a saying, right? It's actually a worse one. I'm not going to say the real yeah. version. <laughs> but anyway, um, we're either way, we're excited to get out to Northern Ireland, which is a part of the cruise. And again, if you want all the details, reserve your spot at cruiseofthrones.com. Okay? That's very important. And again, if you get there before March 15th, you can get that $150 free credit. All right, let's get back to it. So we're back and we're talking about uh, the scene with Jamie guarding the king's chambers. It's a pretty funny scene, actually. Um, the king is clearly pretty busy. He's entertaining. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then we have. So again, what's the guy? What's the what's Ned's guy's name? Uh, his name is Jory Castle. Jory Castle. See, I didn't, so you I know the guy um, with the whiskers that's with Catelyn, the uh, older yeah grandfather guy. Yeah, that's Jory's uncle. That's Sir Roderick Castle, and he's the captain or he's the master at arms at Winterfell. Okay. So Jory, who I never really bothered learning his name because he dies so quickly, <laughs> is uh, we like meet him in this episode, and then he like by like is it next episode or the yeah episode? Ne- yeah it's the next episode he's dead already so that kind of sucks. He seems yeah like I really like Jory yeah, and uh, they're having a great between him and um, 
and Jamie to have a quick chat. And apparently he's like, oh, you know, I met you before. You know, you know, I fought side by side with you at the Siege of Pike, right? That other reference to the, uh, the Greyjoy Rebellion. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a name drop for Thor- Thoros of Mir, which is fun, right? Um, and Thoros was the, the first one through the gates at that battle. What, with a flaming sleep. sword. And a little bit of, uh, I think we've talked about this on the show before, um, but it's like a lot of characters remember this distinctly. That's why it's, it's significant. Sir Jor- Jorah of Mormont was the second one through, and it said that he, you know, he fought bravely that day, and that's the day that he was knighted. Robert knighted him. Does Rob- Robert has the ability to knight people? Technically, anybody who is a knight can knight someone else, but most of the time that it's done. Like, that's, that's in a, that seems like that could get really out of hand fast. <laughs> it, it, it could and it has. Um, most of the time, it's, there's like a ceremony involved. Mm. Like there's more to it, but technically any knight can knight someone. And at that time, Robert was king, so he can knight someone. Right. Okay. And that's why like Jorah obviously is from Bear Island from the north. is one of the few northern knights. Mm-hmm. Okay. 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 Um, and so he wants to leave a message for Ned or from Ned to Robert what is in that message see that's a really good question I have no idea because if it's something like hey I found your bastard why would you write that down and why wouldn't you take it to him by hand (laughs) yeah why would you give it to your guy like who knows what could happen to it right it could be something a bit more innocent like it could be something completely banal and just like you know we need uh, to talk like it could be that it, it it could have nothing to do with uh, having found Robert's bastard. It seems unlikely, that's unlikely, though. Yeah, I just I was the whole the whole scene. Although I was enjoying it for Jamie being like kind of being annoyed by the whole the whole Robert thing. Um, is <laughs> I was like, what what could possibly be on that scroll? Like, and it's a big scroll too. It's not one of the, those little like Raven ones. And I just, I can't wrap my head around it. No matter what's written on that, it doesn't make sense that he, he wouldn't deliver it himself. If it's incriminating, like something like, hey, I found your badge. Yeah, and if, and if it's something like, we need to talk, they do have plenty of time to talk. <laughs> right. So, like, it doesn't quite, like, like in the next scene, you know, the, or in one of the later scenes, they're at a tournament. Robert's just hanging out. Ned chooses not to go to the tournament. Like, I'm sure they could have found time to talk. Um, it could be something completely unrelated, some sort of housekeeping thing, but I really doubt it. Yeah, no, it's just not how that, no. It just, it, either way, it seems like it was a dumb move on Ned's part. He's lucky that, that Jamie didn't take it. Like, that, mm-hmm. the whole time I'm like, dude, does Jamie take it? How does this work again? But, um, like, <laughs> I, Jamie just being kind of a, he's, he's playing his, uh, his, his Kingsguard card. Um, but I don't have to, I don't, I don't serve you. I don't serve Ned. I'm just... Listen, mind your own beeswax, and if you want to get a note to to Robert, you'll have to wait, right? Uh, You'll notice this is – I don't even know if this is on purpose or not. Um, When they're talking about the the Siege of Pike, Jamie notices Jory's scar, and it's like – and he says, one of the Greyjoys nearly took my eye, Mm. right? Yeah. And then in the next episode, like obviously there's no spoilers. We've all watched it before. When Jamie kills him, he stabs him in that same eye with a dagger. I, I can't imagine that was on purpose. Like I'm from Jamie's perspective, like oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get him. It's, but, like, it's just point. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Turns it's out everyone's Achilles eye, heel. by the way, is their yeah. weak point. <laughs> it's just I, I found that interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a good that's a good catch. 
Yeah. Like little, like, I don't even know if it's technically foreshadowing that. And then I'll remember that till the day I die and he dies in the next episode from uh, by Jamie's hand, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So we cut over to castle black and John is kind of defending Sam, right? Um, that one of the, uh, one of the other recruits calls him lady piggy, which is pretty funny. And, uh, and that same fat dude gets a visit in the night from John and his buddies, right? Um, and it's so strange. This whole thing is so weird. He goes from not, like, being angry with Sam for not being able to defend himself to being, like, best buds, right? To recruiting two other of his, like, I guess closer friends. They're not, at, at this point, those guys are hardly even friends, right? Well, I think at this point it's fair to, to say that uh, Gren and Pip are friends with John. Right. Okay, that's fair. And now they're going and like threatening people in the night to protect Sam, right? Um, so I just, it, it, it seemed to escalate really quickly. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's definitely it's the result of Alistair Thorne, like his method, right? He's, yeah. He's, he's hard man and he's very strict or whatever. Um, so it worked for John, but it clearly doesn't work for Sam. It's, it, it sort of backfires against Sir Alistair here. Yeah. And again, like I, I, I'm a apologist for Alistair. Like he, he's not a bad person at all. He's training them. They, they need this, this training, although they're not really doing any exercises. They're just hitting each other with sticks. But. <laughs> so yeah. So Thor gets really pissed off obviously. Right. But he makes a good point though. Like, would you really want someone like Sam watching your back in, uh, in the heat of a battle? I think the answer is no. Right. That's that's what it comes down to. It's it's the uh, it's like a few good men, you know. You're only as strong as your weakest link. Right. So, yeah. I mean, so you can understand from Thorne's perspective, like you know, <laughs> it's slim pickings to begin with, but then we have to deal with this guy, and he's going to get you killed one day, right? Um, and so, and it, it is yeah. it, it is sort of. Uh, it looks like it's John. His leadership skills come come across, and his his empathy and his compassion. Obviously, those are not traits specifically the last two that are really honored at the wall. Mm -hmm. right? There's not really a lot of room for it. But the truth is, they need people like Sam. He's one of the few people that you know um, is capable of reading, let alone enjoys it. Right? right. <laughs> like they need they need backup in that sense. So, the, like the idea is, there's room for everyone. Not everyone needs to be able to to be a badass. I guess. Yeah, but when your numbers are so low, you don't really have the option. Yeah, right? well, yeah, for sure. So the other thing I noticed was that I think it's the first time we get to see Ghost as a like more mature animal than just a puppy. Right? When they're uh, threatening Rast. Right. I just I've I've always been so confused about like what the policy would be on that. Like, hey, welcome to the King's, uh, welcome to the Night's Watch. Um, I see you've brought your pet. <laughs> uh this isn't really a yeah not like nobody else friendly. is a pet <laughs> yeah like it's really pet friendly and i can't one guy has a turtle but <laughs> yeah, right direwolf's pretty different right also can't help but notice it's a wolf uh <laughs> seems pretty dangerous <laughs> right so i don't know it is pretty weird i guess <laughs> and like obviously and the thing with the thing with ghost and this is true basically throughout the entire series is What's he doing when he's not hanging out with John, right? Where is he? Is someone else taking care of him? Is there like who's feeding him, right? Like wh what's going on with that, right? What are the logistics of keeping a direwolf at that at you know at Castle Black? Is that taking someone else's food? Like, are we feeding 
<laughs> are we feet or is he going out hunting? How's this work? He probably goes and hunts. I think he kind of like these animals. They don't they don't really uh, get leashes. They just kind of roam. John will let him go hunt. And he's fine with it. The only one. And who had the a other leash? idea, I think direwolves are meant to be relatively smart animals. So they, they they understand the where they are and their relationship with the people. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a stretch still. Mm-hmm. Okay, they're intelligent wolves. They're like wolves as smart as dolphins. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. Um. So we cut back to Viserys and Danny, and he's pissed at her handmaid because he asked her to dinner or asked her to send him for dinner, something like that. And, uh, it's really quick. This is a pretty quick scene, but essentially Viserys tries to beat the shit out of her and Danny fights back and like cuts his face and she's kind of, mm-hmm. so there's a moment where she's like, um, you know, she's really come like grown into herself a bit and she, she stands up for herself and like, you don't deserve a braid and all that kind of stuff. And, um, don't call them savages and whatnot, right? And then later on, we find out that she's like she's like really worried because of what she did, right? Um, I mean, that's the first time she stood up to him. I would say that he woke the dragon, if we can use that term, right? Which is the term that he always used every time he would beat on her, essentially, right? She was waking the dragon. Um, anyway, she fights back, cuts his face. We'll just do, we'll quick we'll just skip a scene. We'll go over to the Danny and Jorah one. We'll come back to the Sam and John. But Danny goes and talks to Jorah, and Jorah's giving Danny counsel because, like, what else does he do? And <laughs> Dan, like, this is kind of a moment where you think, you know, from the previous scene that she's kind of again she's grown into herself, but she is still somewhat naive about the whole dynamic, right, of what's happening. And Jorah kind of says, like, "Hey." do you really think Viserys should lead an army? And she's like, well, no, I guess that's a good point. <laughs> and so I, I think she's, they kind of resolve to be like, agree that Viserys is useless. I just, I don't think they predicted that he'd, he'd die from gold being poured on his head, but you know, something. <laughs> but I think at that point, they're, they both kind of agree that he's just a nuisance that they have to kind of put up with for now. Um, but there's a moment here where Jorah and Danny are talking and, they they both pray for home. It, you, it's at this point they're so still attached to Westeros and that that life over there that if you think about how they became how they kind of left that all behind um, in the later seasons, it's, it's kind of just stark contrast. I like it's, it's interesting. It like, is interesting. You know, What's always been interesting to me is, um, unlike Viserys, Daenerys has no memory of Westeros. She's never known it. Right. She was born on Dragonstone, but her earliest memories are in Bravos. So it's, it's like this this idea that that's her home, that's been taught to her. Whereas Viserys actually grew up and lived in King's Landing for a little bit. Mm-hmm. He has an idea of what home is and why he wants to go back. She has just been trained to to believe that that's her home and that's where she needs to go. Right. It's like she could create her own destiny perhaps in Marine and she could just yeah. live there. So why so why so much vitriol though? Because like she, she gets – she's – like she all the time talks about how it's her right to sit on the throne and all that kind of stuff later in the se- uh, series, right? Yeah. But like, do you wh- is this the is that the one thing that she was taught by her brother that like that really like stuck was that she that she, they deserve to live and deserve to rule Westeros? Like, like it was that it was the way her family was betrayed, right? 
that's that's a big motivator as well. Yeah, but no, even she, though, but again, she, she learned, didn't know her family. Yeah, she doesn't know her family, and she learns about how her dad was insane and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, she 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 learns that the world, like most of the characters that we follow, like realize that the world is more nuanced and it's not so black and white as they were taught when they were kids. In terms of what drives her, like if it weren't for that, I don't know what or if any driving force there would be in her life. She she would just become a Dosh Kalin and just live it out in, in Vyastothrak. <laughs> Right. But clearly that was not her, her intention, right? Yeah. It's not her destiny. Uh, all right. So let's go back to, let's get back a scene and Sam and John, they're talking, they're, this is such a funny scene. They're like scrubbing a table, but they're like, they're scrubbing like the same spot on the table, like over and over and over again. And they're talking about how it's not fair that, uh, some of these guys get to go and like, they they're definitely visiting the 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 brothel in Woolstown and all that stuff. Digging for buried gold, I believe I think, they call it. I think Sam calls it Sally on the side, actually, mm. <laughs> which is great. Or, uh, either that or digging for treasure. There, there's a term that the men of the Night's Watch use for like, I'm going to go visit Moletown and, and dig for some gold, you know, <laughs> because that whole town is under the ground. That's why. They, so. Oh, really? Yeah, so, Moletown. No, because we went to Moletown. We've been to there. There's a couple, series. like there's a couple buildings on on the surface level, because there has to be. But there's like an edge, and then there's a whole like little town underneath. What? This is how am I? How am I only learning about this now? At least that's what it is in the books. I don't know if like I don't they obviously think, don't yeah. need to explore it, but I don't think that's the case in the show, because that's like a cool concept. But like, can you imagine how much set you'd have to build for that? And yeah. Well, um, the idea is that it could or couldn't be in the like. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't actually affect the story whatsoever. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I mean, it does because it's the closest town to uh, the, to the Castle Black, right? Yeah. Um, and they kind of they bond. They're, this is just another bonding moment, right? They're bonding over the fact that they're both virgins, which is cute. Um, another reference to Roz, which is seems like too too many. <laughs> um, and John talking about how he turns her down because um, because he didn't know his mom, which is talk about like you know how like people have like <laughs> he clearly has like issues with with his whole with his whole upbringing and parentage thing because mm-hmm. he <laughs> he turned down Roz because again he didn't know his mom. <laughs> That's a, that's because a, he didn't want to give another kid the bastard's life, you know. Like, right? It's I, I do think that's an admiral quality. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. I just it, it and it's a rare quality. Like, it, it just in real life, like not even just in, in Game of Thrones. There, there are too many people that you know are you know they're bullied and then they become the bully sort of thing. Yeah, it, it would have been so easy for him to have just you know not thought about it and maybe created a couple of bastards of his own. And he he actually chose to think about it, mm. which is admirable. Like I said, smart smart cookie. And uh, then Thorne gives them shit. He, it's such a, it's a great moment where he bursts through the door and like John and Sam are like, ah! yeah, <laughs> they're like having a little chicken fight. <laughs> like you can imagine what Thorne like is thinking. You're like, oh, God damn it. <laughs> uh, which is pretty funny. And uh, this is that first reference to Mance Raider that you were talking about. And uh, he's talking about you don't know cold, and then alludes to cannibalism, which on like honestly, it's one of the best monologues of this episode, and, and like just in general, this is one of those one of the reasons I love Thorn. 
because Great. because he is a cannibal. <laughs> no, not because, but just the way that he delivers his lines. That right. the actor's name is uh, Owen Teal, I believe, and he just he just sells it. <laughs> wish we had so, wish we had someone like you uh, beyond mm-hmm. the wall. We could have eaten you for a week and still had your bones left over for soup. <laughs> um, but he's just trying to make sure that they understand the severity of the situation they're in. That you know, this isn't all fun and games, right? You, I think he just he basically says. You're gonna, one day you're going to go beyond the wall and you will die, right? Yep. Which is uh, dark. But he, I don't think he would look – I don't think he'd consider himself to be like a pessimist. I think he's just more of a realist, right? Yep. But he in that to. world, it's like being a realist is minor, and a pessimist is almost the same thing. I think that's kind of true for most – I think most people consider – if you can – Right? Would you consider that like that's a still that's still definitely a thing for most people now? They consider themselves to be pessimists, or like a quote unquote realist, even though it's really just a pessimist. Well, I don't know. Realism can sometimes blend with pessimism, but that's that that's the result of the world that you live in and your observation. That's not necessarily right. your outlook. Like pessimism is not a philosophy; it's an outlook. Right. Realism isn't a philosophy. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I would. I think most. Yeah, you're right. Most people would consider themselves realists, not all pragmatists. Right, and then uh, the people, and then when those people speak, everyone else would consider them a, a pessimist. <laughs> right. Yeah, depending on the topic. Yeah. yeah. All right, so let's cut over. I like then. to consider myself a logician. Oh, sorry, a what now? A logician. Someone who's do, uh, what, who a values Vulcan, logic. A Vulcan. <laughs> sort of, not quite to that degree. <laughs> Because I got these stupid feelings all the time, right? So pissing me off, right? Have you tried? Have you have you considered like studying uh, the the study the 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 learnings of the of of Vulcan? Vulcan? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Right? They seem to have they, they have it all figured out. Um, all right. So uh, let's see. Where are we going? We're going to the tournament. So we cut over to the tournament and. Littlefinger with another weird accent change <laughs> as he as he chats with the with the Stark girls. Um, we get a backstory for Littlefinger's nickname, which mm-hmm. is pretty funny. And uh, it's his backstory. Yeah, well, it's yeah, exactly. Like, like his version is what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then we get the Mountain versus Hugh in a joust, and this is before the Mountain was recast, by the way. He looks so much smaller. He twice, yeah. <laughs> he looks so much smaller. They're like, I guess they. Everyone's like, oh, he's called the mountain. Like he's not big enough. Recast him. He needs to be bigger. No, nope, recast him again. He needs to be bigger. <laughs> Until they found the, what is likely to be the largest man. Oh yeah, the dude's huge. In on on planet Earth, likely. Um, His name in the books is the mountain that rides, but it doesn't really roll off the. T- they, this work, the mountain works so much better for TV. Right, especially when you have the hound and the like. It just mm-hmm. yeah, it works a lot better. And like, who who is <laughs> creating? I guess it's it's a draw, but like, Sir Hugh definitely got the short end of the stick in in this uh, <laughs> yeah. this round robin. Like, yeah, right. Like she's brand new knight <laughs> versus <laughs> a mountain. <laughs> it seems unfair, right? Well, you got you got to take your licks. You got to take your licks before you can. Uh, I you suppose. <laughs> so, this is all just a a coincidence, then, right? All this, how this all plays out, right? 
John thinks that Hugh probably poisoned John Aaron, and then before he can talk to Hugh, he dies at this uh, this joust, but all by accident. And it turns out it is. It's right. so weird because you, it it could be coincidental. It might be. It's probably a red herring, like you said earlier. But it does. It all like kind of fits into the conspiracy, and that's yeah. kind of what drives Ned. Is like someone's covering this up. Right. Um, I think it's it's likely. Yeah. So Hugh wasn't really a player. And Clegane just likes to kill people because he definitely aimed for his neck, which you're not supposed to do. Right. Do you think he had a breakaway jousting thing? Are they called jousts? What are they called? They're called lances. Lances, right. Um, so the way it works is like those, you can see both of their lances are padded. They have a thing on the end. Yeah, there, yeah, yeah. So the sharp end doesn't actually stab you. You're supposed to aim for the shield. It's, supposed, it's considered it, – well, from what I know about our, like, our version of medieval jousting, right. it's considered uh, dishonorable to aim for the head. right. You're supposed to aim for the shield, and then sometimes if you want to cheat, you can aim for someone's head because you would knock them over, right? right. Yeah, shield chest. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think we, even if that thing is padded, it kills right. you if it hits you in the neck. Can we agree that jousts are like a stupid – it's a stupid sport. It's really dumb. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would It's pretty stupid. I don't, it's not even really entertaining. And like, I don't know. He, he they didn't a, have very many options back then. He got, right? he got a brutal death, though. Like, there's, like, the, just the way that they shot it. Like, they, you find out that he's got a thing stuck out of his neck, and then he falls to the ground, and they just, like, linger on his neck, and the blood just, like, spraying just out. Just gurgling and yeah. essentially drowning in his own blood. It's, like, spurting. Yeah. Yeah, it's gross. <laughs> well, you, what stuck out to me the most, though, you'll notice, like, obviously, everyone is horrified. Sansa's really scared, but Arya is fascinated. If you, they, they do a close-up on her face, and again, this is, like, it speaks to her character and how she evolves later on. Yeah. She's fascinated with the concept of death. This is the first time she's seen it up close, I believe. And she like she's just wide eyed. She's she's awestruck, but she's not afraid. She's intrigued. Right. Um. Anything else about the tournament that we should mention? Nothing really happens here. I mean, it all plays into like you said, it all plays into the conspiracy, quote unquote. But it's again, it's all yeah. kind of just a coincidence. We get a little bit of like, Littlefinger gives us a backstory on the whole, uh, you know, mountain and hound thing about how he burned mm-hmm. his face and all that um but that's like that's it basically really I th- this is kind of just showy stuff <laughs> by game of thrones yeah i mean it's laying track i feel like we've been saying that a lot <laughs> in these first couple episodes um but yeah it's just setting the stage because the the tournament becomes important later on yes, and the yeah. mountain and the hound's relationship becomes important later on yeah Littlefinger obviously is important later on. Yeah. Also, it, it, he kind of poisons Sansa to the Hound, right? Where she didn't really have a reason to distrust him other than he was scary looking, right? But now she's kind of, it's like, he's really just trying to scare her off of of the of the Hound. I guess just for, just for fun. I, it's like, what's Littlefinger's like, goal here? I think he's just messing it's with him. It's always hard to say with him. I think he's just messing. I think, honestly, at this point, the, like these girls are just like, he's just messing with them. Right, I, I know he always has some kind of like long term scheme or whatever, but if he's trying to ingratiate himself to Sansa, telling her about like a kid burning another kid isn't a great way to do it. I don't think. Um. Yes, I, it's 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 gross, but like he also, if we find out later, you know, if he keeps her afraid of other people, she'll be more willing to trust him. Right. Right. That is, yeah, that is super gross. He might be planting those seeds as, you know, that, that sounds real rapey, which is kind of part of his character. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it does add up though. Like, 
Littlefinger is the kind of guy that if, if like in modern times that would read, you know, that book that's called The Game that's all about like dating and how to like manipulate, play. yeah, manipulate yeah. women is essentially yeah, what it it's is. And, like, ridiculous. Yeah, I've never. But that's that's what he's yeah. doing. Yeah, constantly. Well, it's like that whole thing where like there's like a lot of different strategy, like quote unquote strategies that that book kind of like recommends. And, you know, one of them is basically that one you're talking about, right? Where, like, just you just have to make her believe that everyone else is – no one else is worthwhile or is, <coughs> or is you should be worried about them or whatever except for me, right? It, and it's also the other way, right? Like, it's really gross. And I, I hate that I even know the term. I haven't read the book, but I know the term and I know it's from the book. The, the, the idea of negging, the idea is that you, you insult – someone so that they they have something to prove to you so that they're more likely to want to impress you sort of thing right yeah that is yeah that's just so depressing <laughs> i don't <laughs> want, want to think about it uh but i'm just saying nice things to people hmm? remember that so well, let's go you, you do what you do <laughs> let's go to let's go to ned and cersei and uh cersei's kind of playing nice i guess here um they both they're kind of talking about robert's ineffectiveness making small talk. Um, what's, what is Cersei really doing here? Is he, again, is this one of those just like feeling out Ned and seeing like what, what's happening or what's what, definitely. Yeah. It, it, that's the first couple episodes with Ned and King's Landing, all of them, Varys, Littlefinger, Pycelle, and now Cersei. They're all like, you got to imagine it's a chessboard. They're, they're, they're just like setting up the board, moving pieces and seeing how he'll react to them. Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> Ned, when it comes to Lannisters, just const- he's just constantly threatening them. He's always, always, always threatening them. And they're poorly veiled threats. No wonder they think that they're their enemy, right? It's not even, it's not even, it's not even subtle. He's like, at the end of here, he's like, yep, I'm just a soldier, soldier and I always kill my enemies, right? It's like, what? why are you saying that to the queen? <laughs> like, I guess he already has suspicions or whatever. But like, well, it's not even that he has suspicions. His suspicions have been confirmed in his mind at this point. He, Robert has bastards. Um, well, I guess not. I guess he hasn't gotten to that part of, with the book yet. Not yet. He doesn't say okay. of golden hair. Black of hair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. That classic moment. But but you're right. Like it is like thinly veiled. I think both for, on both sides is a relatively thinly veiled threat. But if if we can stick with the chess metaphor, like Ned is the kind of player, unfortunately. You know, the you know, goal one, is to get one, the other player's yeah. king. So I'm going to move a pawn towards the king. Whereas other players kind of you know, yeah. they set traps. They, so they want you to believe something and go somewhere else. He's not looking five moves ahead or whatever. He's look, he's just like next next move up, right? Yeah. Uh, so we cut to then the tavern at the crossroads. This is the final scene of the episode, and Cat and Tyrion run into each other. Uh, he arrives. Cat's uh, at the at the at the inn, uh, and she's gonna about to eat or whatever, and then. Tyrion arrives. The first time we see Bronn, I kind of like the way that they did this. Bronn gets like one line of dialogue, is never mentioned, like you never see him again, right? He's just there, right? Yep. And uh, and then we go into this whole big thing of uh, the two of them are chatting. and the, Because I guess they found that, you know, it's one thing for Tyrion to arrive and everyone knows who he is, but then they also find out that Kat's there, right? And everyone's like, <gasps> you know? And so Kat talks about how she, you know, you know, you know, I might be Catelyn Stark now, but I was born in the Riverlands, right? And she does this whole good speech. It's a great speech, right? The way she does it. Yeah. yeah. It features a couple of the major houses of the Riverlands. 
say, you there, I, I know your dad, and you have a nice uncle, and blah, 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 <laughs> blah. And um, first reference to Walder Frey, you know, he's going to take another wife, right? The phrase, I think the Brackens, who aren't really, the Brackens never really feature in the yeah. series. And then House Went. Uh, house Went is a relatively small house, but they technically at this point are the lords of Harrenhal. Oh, really? Okay, interesting. Lady Went. And um, I just I just can't get over how great the speech is and like the way she like the way she executes it, right? And like Tyrion's like, yeah, it's great. It's nice that your dad had nice friends. <laughs> like <laughs> I don't I don't get it. And then all of a sudden, um, she like she drops the ball and they're like, you know, he conspired to kill you know as a guest conspired to kill my son. You know, um, seize him. Right, and they all just pull their swords out. It's such a cool moment. Of course, we know that this doesn't end well. <laughs> um, of course but this is the first overt act of aggression between Starks and Lannisters. It is, right. It's been all talk up until this point. This is—it's right. not technically war, like it's not a declaration of war, but it's the first open hostilities right. between them. So, I know we keep doing this, but it's kind of a running joke now. This is the moment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is it. This is here. I mean. We talk about we talked about like the things that incited it, but really this is that, like you said, it's the most it's the first overt one, right? Where everyone else knows what's happening now. Yeah, it's no longer a secret. Yeah, um, although it kind of is, <laughs> you know what? <laughs> it really is because um, nobody in King's Landing they, they don't find out for a while. No, they find out, don't they find out next week? They oh, like it's um, how do I put it? It's still meant to be a secret between the Starks and the Lannisters. Okay. Jamie finds out, and that's and then next week Jamie starts. He he attacks Ned Stark. Right. Um, but Catelyn's taking him technically in secret. She knows that people are watching, so she lets them believe that they're going to Winterfell, where they decide to go to the Eyrie instead. Right. Blah blah blah. Okay. But yeah, for for all intents and purposes, this is the the, the catalyst. That, so again, yeah. we keep fucking it's, saying it's, that. I know, but I mean, this is the one, though, right? This is this is the real one. Would you say this is the realest one? Is there going to be another well, moment I mean, that comes? No, I, I would say Robert's death is probably the catalyst. That's that's when it becomes actual. Right. That's when it becomes war. That's when it becomes rebellion for Renly and Stannis and Rob. All right. So this one is just one of the many, because. <laughs> Technically, at this point, nobody is at war with each other. They're feuding. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they haven't declared war. Robert's still the king. He maintains the king's peace. In the next episode, he tells them to make peace. Or in the episode after, he's telling them to make peace. So that's all maintained. It's after Robert dies that nobody can keep control of the situation. Right. With an unfortunate boar hunting accident. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, all right. So. Is there anything else you should say about this final scene at the Tavern at the Crossroads, other than it is a pretty badass scene? No, yeah, it's super cool. It's probably my favorite scene of the episode, actually. Also, we uh, we meet Marillion for the first time, the singer. Yes. He plays a larger, much larger role in the books, <laughs> but he's, he's a big part of the show as well. Is he, though? Not, maybe not big, but he... <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. No, he's not a big part of the show. He's a really big part of the books. Really? Why? Yeah. He kind of like he follows them around. He stays at the Eyrie for a while. Um, when Lysa is murdered, they blame her death on Marillion and they take his tongue then. Mm. But I think at the end of this season, Joffrey has his tongue ripped out. That's a shame. Yeah, real, real rough go for him. <laughs> uh, all right, so final thoughts. What do you think of this episode? Again, like I, I'm, I know 
I'm going to say this about every episode, but I loved the, the entire first season. I love right. Um, this one does it is similar to the last episode in that things are moving, but moving slowly. It's 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 kind of like if I can quote Gandalf from Return of the King. This is this is the deep breath before the plunge. Next episode is like now we're we're in open. Yeah, we're, we're hot. there are hostilities. There's there's fighting now. Like the things start moving a bit quicker from here on out. Yeah. I think I'd, I would mostly agree with that. Um, I liked it more than last week's episode. I think more does actually happen here, right? Yeah, the plot moves a bit more. I I think I I think I like Ned in in like sleuthing mode, uh, even though he's not very good at it. Um, I do like that. It's weird to think about how much of this of this episode is spent dealing with this whole Hugh thing and um, trying to figure out who was po- like how he was poisoned and all that stuff when we find out that none of those things matter, right? Well, much later, obviously. But, like, so much of this first, of this episode is spent on things that I think are basically just coincidences and a big red herring. But, like, a whole episode of a series, I mean, yeah. in, the long, in the long game, it, it pays off. But, like, self-contained in this first season, if you, if you knew, if you found out at the end of season one that that was all red herring, I think you'd be pretty pissed. I know, it's... it's, <laughs> right? it's it's kind of fun to keep the audience guessing t- as much as the characters are. Yeah, I mean, you, you like, don't want to be you don't want to be like ten steps ahead, but you also don't want to. Here's that thing: I don't I don't like when shows spend red herrings are fine, but if you spend that much time on them and it's that and they're that important, and like I, it's kind of it's a little frustrating because you as the audience spend as much time and energy trying to figure it out when. Turns out it's all just a coincidence. That's not. I just don't think that's very satisfying. Yeah, that's. I was about to say like it's hard for us to imagine. We weren't doing the show when the first when this show first yeah. started coming out. I imagine had we been doing this week to week, we may have been kind of upset, but like not upset, like kind of you know a little pissed off. Well, I <laughs> like think, okay, yeah. so we're supposed to think about this, this, and this, and then it doesn't mean anything. I, I can't. I yeah. think of a season, you know, six or seven analog, but I know there were plot points that just were dropped. Yeah, yeah. and I remember being frustrated by that. I mean, the thing is that it's not that these are necessarily dropped. It's just that it just didn't matter. And we didn't find out until like season five <laughs> or something, I think. Mm-hmm. Is it season five? That sounds right. Um, so, yeah, when we find out, I say. Yeah. yeah so, again, yeah, just not that satisfying. Other than that, though, I think you're right. This first season is great. Um, so, I think we can wrap it up there. Is there anything else we should mention? I think we covered most no. of it. All right. So, what's the name of next week's episode? Uh, the the lion and the wolf, I believe, or the wolf and the lion. Okay, I think that's the order. Awesome. It's so we'll be back next week to talk about that. In the meantime, check out our website, towerbabble.ca. Uh, go to uh, follow us on Twitter at towerbabblecast. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com/slash/towerbabblecast. So you're gonna find out everything uh, that we do and talk about. It's all gonna be over at our website, though. And send us any uh, emails to towerbabblepodcast at gmail.com. And we'll be back uh, next week to talk about uh, Season 1, Episode 5. This week's Game of Thrones theme cover is a orchestral launch pad cover by Omega Vibe. And as always, you'll find their work on YouTube. And remember, head over to cruiseofthrones.com to reserve your spot. Thrones.com